We're going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 37 um, this week. We're continuing, well, really kind of starting with Joseph, but we'll get deep into the life of Joseph over the next uh, couple of weeks. I'm just really, really humbled and grateful tonight for the scriptures and, and for this church family and being able to be here and be able to um, to bring this word to you tonight and just over the course of the week and preparing and studying and um, just remembering how important it is that we don't just do things just just for the sake of doing them, but like when we do things with intentionality and, and knowing that we're doing the things that God has asked us to do. And then just like what we're going to see in the life of Joseph, that God can bless things that he wants to. Like it really doesn't matter what it is that you're doing, that he can be in the middle of it and he can do incredible things with it. And we'll see that kind of evidence in how he blessed Pharaoh uh, and, and Potiphar, even though those were not godly people, but blessing came into those things because of Joseph, because of his activity. So we're going to look at that, but just thinking about that tonight um, as, as the worship was going on and um, you know, seeing our kids being involved in, in, in the worship and, and Jacob playing with the band and then seeing uh, Braylon back in the back with Eli, and they're making the words go. Like all of those things are significant, important things that that are a part of all of what we're doing. And and seeing our kids being involved in that, and seeing how God is blessed, just um, it's just really it's really neat to see. So um, so thank you for allowing your kids to be used, and for really paving that way, and giving giving them opportunities to do that. So we're gonna get into the book of Genesis 37. I'm going to start in verse 1. We're going to, I'm not going to read the entire uh, Torah portion this week, but we are going to focus in on a few different things uh, throughout the entirety of it. But let's look at these first six verses in um, chapter 37, beginning in verse 1. Now, Jacob dwelled in the land where his father had sojourned, in the land of Canaan. These are the genealogies of Jacob. Now, this is what's kind of interesting. Like last week when we talked about um, Jacob having this encounter with God and wrestling with God, and then at the end, God giving him a new name. You are no longer going to be Jacob, Yaakov, but from now on you will be known as Israel. And, and so as, as this one starts, it goes, well, now Jacob was in the land of his father where the father had sojourned in, in Canaan. This is the genealogy of Jacob. And then it just kind of goes right into this thing about Joseph. And you see very early on in this how Joseph is really the key to this, this legacy and this moving forward. Um, when Joseph was 17 years old, he was, he was a youth. He was shepherding the flocks with his brothers, with the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zippah. Joseph's, Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now, Israel loved Joseph. So here we start seeing that transition of the name. It, it picked up and said, here's kind of where the genealogy goes. And then here in verse 3, he's actually called Israel. Now, Israel 
loved Joseph more than all of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. So he had made him a long-sleeved tunic. When his brothers saw that his father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak to him in shalom or in peace. Then Joseph dreamed a dream and told his brothers, and they hated him even more. He said to them, please listen to this dream I dreamed. Okay. Um, based off of what we know from the scriptures about Joseph, and, and sometimes like we can, we can read into a text, but we can read into it kind of with hindsight. Like we know more about his story. So when we look at a, a moment in time, we look at it and go, I, I don't feel like at this time, I don't feel like Joseph was going, I'm going to show you why I'm better than you because I'm going to tell you this dream that I had. Like, I don't think that that's, this is driving me nuts. I'm sorry. Hang on just one second. We got all kinds of issues here. Okay. All right. Let's see if we can fix that. Okay. So I don't feel like this was a situation where Joseph was going, all right, God gave me this thing. And so I'm going to show you why I'm better than all of you. I'm going to show you why our father loves me more than rest. I don't think that that's what he was doing in this situation. They were gathered together and got, I had the strangest dream. Let me, let me tell you what it was. But what, that, what happened as a result of him sharing this dream about the sheets and the grain, and there was like one that grew up higher than the others, and the others seemed to be bowing down before it. Um, in, their, in their hearing, because they hated him, they heard that and go, well, you think you're better than us. Like, even in your dreams you think that you're better than us. And then he, he, you know, his dad's like, hey, son, that's probably not a good idea to like share those types of things. And your brothers are going to think that I love you more. I, and I do. Like, have you ever done that with, with your kids? Like, you're my favorite. Don't tell the other one. Just me? Okay. Like, so, so it's church and we can't be honest. So I get that. That's fine. I do that all the time. Like, hey, listen, great job. You're my favorite. Don't tell the other one. But then I might, in the next minute, I might tell the other one, like, you're my favorite. Don't tell the other one. We do those kinds of things. So this was not necessarily Joseph going, dad likes me better. Let me tell you this incredible dream that I had. It, it wasn't so much that. And you can tell, too, by Israel or Jacob's response in that as well, as you get down um, into... Verse 10, he told it to his father as well as his brothers. Then his father rebuked him and said to him, what's this dream you dream? Will you really come? Will we really come, your mother and I, with your brothers, to bow down to the ground to you? So his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the speech in mind. Like his father held on to it. Brothers got really, really mad. Dad kind of held on to it. Like, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm filing that one away for you. So um, let's jump from there. It, it goes into this, this whole betrayal. Um, Israel sent Joseph to go find his brothers. They had taken the sheep out to graze, and he sent, them, sent him to go find them. And um, as he was tracking, and he had to ask, hey, were they here? Yeah, they were going to go to this other place. So as he's going, they see him a little ways off, and that's when this, this wickedness that had taken root in their heart kind of starts coming out, and they, they come up with a plan 
to do away with him. And initially they were, they were going to kill him and, and throw him in a, in a pit. And then they decided, well, you know what? We can actually, we might be able to profit off of this. Maybe we can make a little bit of money. So, um, so they betray him. They, they take him, they take his coat from him, and they, they sell him to these Ishmaelites or, or Midianites who were, who were passing through. They just, they sold him. And, and you know, like Miss Susan said, you know, like if you, you don't sell your, you don't sell your little brothers, your little sisters, you, you might want to periodically. I, if, you, if you've never wanted to sell your younger sibling, it's because you are the younger sibling. That's the only reason that you've never had that feeling inside of you that I need to sell you off to somebody else. We were talking about this the other day, like the boys are, they're like 15 and a half months apart, okay? So um, <clears throat> Jacob really hasn't known life without Eli because he was so young and like when he has memories, pretty much Eli's always been there. There's probably been times in his life <laughs> where he would have been just fine had Eli not been there, you know? And like, if he could have found a buyer, I bet he would have sold him on down the river. It's not because he doesn't love him, but life might be pretty sweet without the other one around. So that was kind of what was in the heart of them. Now, this is what's really interesting about this. And in all of the, all of the research that I did this week, and studying the timeline of this particular Torah portion that we're in right, right now is really pretty, it's kind of a mystery. So um, what we know about Jacob, who became Israel, is that he had 12 sons, right? So um, this portion seems to be, in, in terms of the timeline, it seems to be out of order with what we've already seen. Because what we know about Israel or Jacob is that his wife, the one that he really, really loved, died in the portion we did last week. Remember, he, he created that area where he buried her and he kind of set up camp there in that, that area. Um, what, there's a, what the biblical scholars have, have kind of wrestled with with the timing of this is it seems at this point that Benjamin is not, has not yet been born. So what we, what we studied last week was when, when Benjamin was born, because as he was being ready to be born, his mama said his name is this, and his dad goes, no, his name is Benjamin. That's his name. He's not going to be the son of sorrow. He's going to be the son of strength. Remember that part? And then, and then she, she died. But... When I, when I was thinking about when you're reading through this and you go, okay, maybe if you have a younger sibling, maybe you have that moment where you're like, man, I would like to send you off with a band of Midianites that might be rolling through town. I would love to sell you off. But like nobody does that. And, and, and you don't have that thing in your heart where you want them dead. That, that doesn't happen. So how does this happen? Well, the reality of it is, if you remember, Joseph was the only one of those 11 before Benjamin came. He was the only one of the 11 sons 
who had the mama that Jacob loved. Do you, you remember that? Because Jacob put himself into service so that he could marry. And, and then the guy was like, oh, well, here's my daughter. And, but that's not the one I wanted. Okay, well, work for me for seven more years, and then I'll give you the other daughter, the one that you really wanted. So he put 14 years of work into, into this woman. That was the one that his heart loved. But he had these children by the other one and then the other maidservants as well. Joseph was an outcast to those, to those other 10. You see that? So like the thing that happened in their heart where they actually wanted him dead, they felt no connection to this person as family. This, is, this was not a family situation. And the other thing that's interesting is when, when you put all of it together, the one who would really be his brother, who would be Benjamin, likely wasn't born yet when this text was, when this actually happened. So when we look at it in, in the order that it is in the Bible that we read, this portion that we're looking at is not in chronological order. Does that make sense? That, that's what it seems. It seemed, and then also remember what we just read when uh, Israel rebuked Joseph for sharing that dream. Did you see what it said? Will we really come, your mother and I and your brothers? So, so when, he, when he has this dream, Israel's asking him, Will your mother and I and your brothers really come and bow down before, before you? Well, if, if she had already passed away, then she would not be able to come. Does that make sense? So this is what's kind of interesting about this portion is it seems to be chronologically like pulled out and like, here, boom, let's, let's just deal with this right now with what happened in Joseph's life, okay? So, and then I, I looked at these timelines with, how old were people? And it was, so there is debate. We're not sure and we're not going to stand and make, you know, like dogma over this because the Bible is not very clear on who was where and when. But I just wanted to point that out that in this, in this piece, specifically I want to point it out because those brothers who wanted him dead and gone had no real connection to him. Like I, we can all like pretty safely say like, I don't want harm to come to my, to my family. Well, these people didn't feel connection to him. They, they did want him dead. They did want him gone. But the one brother who like really was his brother probably wasn't even on the scene yet at this point. Okay, we good with that? I just wanted to kind of make that, that point right here. Okay, let's jump down in the text. Uh, down to verse 31, <clears throat> it says, Then they uh, took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and, and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without it without doubt, torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garment, put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son 
many days. I did find this piece, um, I don't know if irony is, is the right term for this, but they took his robe and they dipped it in the blood of what? What did it say? Into goat's blood. Um, do you remember when Jacob um, stole the birthright and the blessing? Do you know what he, do you remember what he covered himself in? Goat hair. So the, the goat comes back in play here, and you're actually, we're actually going to see uh, a really kind of weird place with the goat coming back in in, in this text as well. So, um, so in the same way that he deceived, he was also deceived um, here in, the, in this portion as well. Um, also, you note in verse 32, it said, and they sent the robe of many colors. They didn't... This was one of those things like, whoa, I haven't seen that before. Like, in my head, this has always been like, they came up with this plan, here we go, we're going to go and, and tell dad this, we're going to tell this story to him. They didn't go. They sent it. And, and like, even, even like the, the it's very cold, we need you to identify whether or not this is the robe of your son, you know? And, and like, it's just so cold. Like the whole thing is just so like out of a CSI movie kind of thing. Like it's just, it's so, so cold, the whole thing. So um, they didn't even go. They, they sent it to him. And of course, um, Jacob is, Jacob's crushed. What we have to remember, and we're going to draw this out a couple of times, what we have to remember is Jacob knew the promise of the covenant that Yahuwah had made with Abraham. Like, he knew it. It had been ingrained in him. He knew what the plan was. And in his head, it was going through Joseph, right? That, that's the one. That's the promised one. Now, he's gone. And so he's, he's devastated. He's, he's destroyed by this. And verse 36, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him into Egypt to Potiphar, an official of Pharaoh, the commander of the bodyguards. So chapter 37 ends with after they, they sold him to this, this band that was kind of coming across, they that group of Midianites ended up selling him into, uh, basically directly into Pharaoh's court. Like, you're going to go be a servant for this dude named Potiphar, who is, he's the kind of the commanding uh, officer of the bodyguards, the group that was actually in charge of, of guarding Pharaoh and taking care of him. This is the guy who is over that group. So a very, very high-ranking official in Pharaoh's court is where Joseph ends up ultimately landing. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. I'm going to I'm going to come back to chapter 38. We're going to we're going to do 38 and I want you to now go to chapter 39. We're going to pick up in verse 1 at 39. So, here's Joseph. He was just doing what his father asked him to do. Go go check on your brothers. They they're out grazing the sheep. Go check on them. He's just doing what he was told to do. They had this wickedness in their heart. 
They sold him into slavery. So here he is. He finds himself in slavery in Egypt. Okay? Now, what we know, again, because reading through this with hindsight, what we know is all of this stuff happened because it was orchestrated by God himself, right? Because what happened here is what ultimately leads to all of what we studied in the book of Exodus. When, when Moses was raised up and he brought the nation out and ultimately they ushered in, they ushered in the kingdom. So all of this stuff is orchestrated. What we're seeing here with Joseph being sold to the Midianite caravan that was coming through and then ultimately selling him in to be a slave in Pharaoh's house is like, this is the point. This is where all, everything starts turning towards what we, what we studied already in the book of Exodus. This is, this is where all of that stuff kind of starts happening. Okay, so chapter 39, verse one. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. Potiphar, an official of Pharaoh, commander of the bodyguards, brought him from the hand of the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there, who had brought him down there. But Adonai was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. This was the point that Miss Susan was making with the kids. And in the middle of everything that happened, what we know was God was with him. God was with him. And I've said this before. Yeah. I, I did like full-time vocational ministry for a while, and then um, I went to work in the public schools, and, and, and I'm still doing ministry in, in the public school system. That's, I believe that that's where God's called me into. And as I've gotten older, I'll turn 40 next year. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, pick your chin up. Yeah, I'm going to turn 40 next year. And listen, everything hurts. I, I had a day yesterday. Why is my shoulder hurting so bad? You know what happened last night? Storms came. That's what old people do, am I right? That's, you start, something starts hurting. You go, ooh, there's a storm coming. That's what happened to me yesterday. So, but as I've gotten older, you know what I've come to realize? That I'm old, yes. I have those moments. Thank you, son. You're grounded. Um, but <laughs> totally worth it. Um, what I've come to realize, though, is I don't think that God cares at all what I do. Like vocationally, like for a job. As long as I'm not doing something unethical, I don't think he cares what I do. He is greatly concerned with how I do that thing that I do. Does, does that make sense? So I've seen more opportunities to do real, in, in the middle of it, ministry with people in the job that I'm in currently, probably than I had in nine years of doing full-time vocational ministry, where like that, that was my job. That was what I did. I don't think it matters where we are or what we're doing, like where the money comes from. Like all of it's his. He gave it to us for a reason. And how we do the things that we do 
really, really, truly do matter. And this is evidence of that, that Joseph has been taken from his family and he has been put in the center of what would be the pagan world at this time. And it says, but God was with Joseph. God was with him. So he became a successful man in the house of his master, the Egyptian. His master saw that God was with him and that God made everything he set his hand to successful. That's a testimony of his power that anything that Joseph put his hands to flourished. It succeeded. It didn't matter what it was. If he put his work to it, it became something that was a blessing to the people around him. Joseph found favor in his eyes, so he served him as a personal servant, and he made him an overseer over his household. Everything that was his, he entrusted into his hands. From the, from the time that he made him an overseer in his house and over everything that belonged to him, God blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. He blessed him because of Joseph. He blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph, because of him, because of who he was. That's why the blessing came. That's real... I think that's truly, truly significant. It's very important for our lives that we understand that when you walk it in a certain way, like God's in the middle of that. And when we, when we respond as people of faith and we live our lives for him on purpose, that there's this overflow that happens in our lives and other people are going to see and find their purpose and why they were placed here because of the way we live our lives. I think that's, I think that's a truly, truly significant lesson that we, got, we have to learn that from the life of Joseph. Because none of you have found yourself sold into slavery, taken from your land, and dropped down into a place where literally no one looks like you and nobody believes the way that you do. That was Joseph's story, but he stayed focused on his God and held on to his faith and held on to his integrity, and God blessed it. God took care of it. All right, uh, God's blessing was on everything that belonged to him in the house and in the field, so he released everything he owned into Joseph's hands. With him in charge, He did not think about anything except the food he ate. Joseph took care of every single everyday matter for Potiphar, everything other than chewing his food for him. He took care of everything and everything was blessed. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and handsome in appearance. He was a big old stud, muscles, like the chiseled jawline or whatever it is, that's, that was Joseph. That was who he was. Now, after these things, the master's wife lifted up her eyes at Joseph and said, come lay down with me. 
But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, my master does, doesn't think about anything in the house with me in charge. And everything that belongs to him is entrusted into my hands. No one in this house is greater than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So how could I commit this great evil, and what does it say there? And sin against Potiphar. No. How could I commit such a great, like how can I compromise and commit such a great sin against God? Was Joseph serving Potiphar or was Joseph serving his God? See, that's the, that's the difference. That's where he set himself apart and, and was placed. That's honestly why he was put in the position he was in, but it was about his trust and his faith and his relationship, relationship with his God. Can't, you can't miss that. You cannot overstate that, the importance of that. So it goes, the story goes on and, and ultimately Potiphar's wife just, she won't take no for an answer and she kind of entraps him and he ends up in big, big trouble because when he ran away from her, he left his robe in her, in her clutches and so she cooks up this story and tells Potiphar and it says that Potiphar becomes enraged and and he, he sends him to jail. Now, um, the Bible doesn't speak directly to this, but I have to feel like there was a reason that Potiphar didn't kill Joseph right away. Like, maybe there was a doubt in his head whether or not Joseph actually did the thing that his wife said that he did. Maybe she's had this issue before. Um, whatever the case is, he didn't kill him right away, which he had every right to do. He had all the authority, all the power to do. He chose not to, and he put him in prison. Now, once, once Joseph got into the prison, what happened? The exact same thing happened again. He, he gained the trust of the head guard, the one that was everything, and that guy put him in charge of all the prisoners. Hey, just take care of everything. Make sure everybody's, you know, doing whatever it is they're supposed to do. So he, the exact same thing happens when he gets there. His integrity pushes him to the top, and now he is, he is running the prison from inside the prison. And then this really unique thing happens in chapter 40 where there's these two people who were in, um, in Pharaoh's court. It was Pharaoh's cupbearer and his baker. When you're a Pharaoh, you have somebody that will hand you your drink and that makes stuff for you. So he something happened. He didn't trust them. He ends up throwing them in jail. And so while they're in there, both of them have a dream. 
And they're obviously somewhat disturbed by the dream. And Joseph is an interpreter of dreams. One of our kids said that. That's, that was one of the things that he was, he was known for, having the ability. He walked with God. And, and just like he says it in chapter 40, he goes, well, dreams belong to God. So tell me what your dream was. So they share their dream. And so it starts, the, the cupbearer shares his dream. And he says, okay, like I had this dream. There was this vine and there were these three branches off of it and this cluster of grapes. And, and the, the grapes were pressed in to, into the cup and the cup was in my hand and then the cup was in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph goes... No big deal. Listen, in three days, you're going to be released and you will be reinstated as Pharaoh's cupbearer. You're good. So the baker is there and he's listening to this. He goes, that sounds good. Let me tell you what I, let me tell you my dream. So I had this dream and there was like all this white bread in baskets on top of my head. And the food that was there was for Pharaoh, but a bunch of birds were eating it. What do you think, Joe? Um, so in three days, um, Pharaoh's going to take your head from you. He's going to hang you, and birds are going to come eat the flesh off of you. So like he hears, he hears the cupbearer's interpretation. He's like, Oh, cool. Hey, I had a dream too. Let me share it with you. And it goes really bad. Like it got super, super dark for him. And, and he goes, so then in three days, and the scriptures say, it was Pharaoh's birthday. Like it was just kind of, did y'all read that? Did you see that? It was just kind of thrown in there. In three days, it was Pharaoh's birthday. And he released him to be hanged and the birds came and ate his flesh. So that was kind of how that was kind of how this ended. Now, what Joseph told the cupbearer that you're gonna be reinstated, and all that I ask of you is that when he reinstates you, that you remember me. That you remember me because listen, I was done, I was done wrong. Like I didn't do anything wrong, and they sent me to jail. So when you're put back into your position. I just, I just want you to remember me. Remember that I gave you the interpretation. I told you what was going to happen. And then, and then it happened, and the cupbearer was reinstated, and he was put back in his position. And the Bible tells us, but he completely forgot about Joseph. He, he, didn't, he didn't bring it up to Pharaoh that, by the way, there's a God down there. He walks with the one true living God, and he interprets dreams. And so, but... Stick with that because that's going to come back around to us. So, all right, now I want us to circle back to chapter 38. And I wanted us to kind of just, we're going to wrap up our time tonight in verse 38. Because this was the part I think that like really, really, really tripped me up for a little while in preparation. Typically kind of my process when I'm getting ready to, uh, to prepare a sermon like this is I will read through or sometimes listen through that text multiple times just so like the content of it really gets stuck in my head. This chapter, chapter 38, 
seems like it came from a completely different part of the scriptures. Because you have in you have in 37 that you know Israel loved Joseph and gives him this coat, and his brothers hate him and 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 sell him off. And then 39, you pick up where Joseph is. And there's just this weird thing of 38 right there in the middle. It just, it just seemed to be kind of an outlier and, and, and trying to figure this, this out. And so I want, us to, I want us to just settle here for a few minutes tonight as we wrap up um, because it's so, so good. It's so good. So let's just get here in, in, into this. It happened at that time that Judah, remember Judah is one of Joseph's older brothers. He's one of, the, one of the 12 sons. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brother and turned aside to a certain um, Adulamite whose name is Hurrah. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went to her and she conceived and bore a son. And he called his name Ur. That's significant. Remember how all of these names are so, like there's so much meaning and significance behind names, uh, especially in the Old Testament. That name is important. He, he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son and she called his name Onan. Yet again, she bore a son and she called his name Sheila. Judah was in Chazib when she was born. When he was born. Okay. Uh, verse 6. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. <coughs> and look at this in verse 7. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Now, I'll tell you what the name Ur means. The name Ur, does anybody know, by the way? The name Ur translates or it means watcher or watchers. Okay, so you remember the, you remember the scene in heaven when Lucifer leads the rebellion? We can be like God. And God cast Lucifer out of heaven along with a third of the angels. And they became the watchers. We talk about the evil that is in the world because it was cast out of heaven. It was sent here. And so this spiritual darkness that is in the world that's brought about by that, that are known as the watchers. So that's what the name Ur Means And what we know from the scripture is Ur, who was Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to an Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up an offspring to, for your brother. So this goes back, we, we did some study about uh, the kinsman redeemer a few months back. Um, and basically, that, that concept was that if, if a man has a wife, but they don't have children, and then the man dies, it's, it's the, the next, the next um, brother 
in line that is responsible for, for ensuring that the, the line, the family line, goes on. That, that's this, that's, this is where that concept ties back together. It's, it's about a, um, a theocratic, theocracy family unit is, is the way it's described in theology, but it's basically this idea that it's important that the family line continues on. So it was the brother's responsibility since Ur died, he was wicked, but he had a wife, but he didn't have any children. It was the next brother's responsibility to have, that, to have the line continue on. Onan didn't want to do that. He, he knew that if, if she ended up having a child by him, that wouldn't really be his legacy. It would be someone else's. So he chose to not do that. And God killed him for it. He, he, had, he had a duty, he had a responsibility. He didn't do it. And God killed him. Okay? So we continue on. Um, after... Onan died, then Judah said to Tamar, his his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, Shelah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. So he's saying, I've got a third son, but he's really young. So I want you to remain a widow in your father's house. Like, stick around. And when, when he's old enough, he'll become your husband. But in, in Judah's head, he's like, I've already lost two sons. I've only got the one more. I don't know why my sons are dying, but I feel like it has something to do with this woman. So I don't really necessarily want him Because also remember, Judah knew the promise, right? Judah knew about the covenant that God had made with Abraham that I'm going to bless all of the nations of the world through you. Abraham's Judah's great-grandpa, right? I mean, this, this, there's not a great deal of time that has passed from when the promise was given to him. And now he's like, I'm down two sons. I've only got one left. So he convinces her, you remain, remain a widow. When my third boy is old enough, you'll become his wife. In the course of time, and that where it says in the course of time in, in the Hebrew, it means a lot of time has passed by. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Tinma to, uh, to his sheep shearers, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timna to shear his sheep, She took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance of Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up and she had not been given to him in marriage. So basically she's seeing the writing on the wall. He's plenty old now. You have no intent of, of making me his wife so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. All right, before we see what she does here, 
I want us to remember this. I was listening to, I was actually listening to a rabbi teach on this Torah portion this week. And he said that um, this is often called a Torah of angst. You know what the word angst means? Like it just, like you just kind of feel like, ooh. <laughs> I had it all week, like reading this and studying it and going through it. And like the actions of the people are, reprehensible. Like some of the things that people in this text this week have done, you're like, gross. What is wrong with you? Listen, the Bible is not a book about perfect people doing perfect things perfectly in the perfect time to make things perfect. That's That's not what we see throughout this. Tamar was not perfect. Her actions, the things that she chose to do, were not what we would call in the profession best practices. Okay? But Tamar also knew the promise. She had also been told probably countless times the stories of Abraham and and the promise that he had made and that she had married into that line, that direct line. And she didn't know At this time, she didn't know that what was anticipated, what was coming, was not supposed to come directly through her. So while Judah's looking at this and going, I'm down two sons, I've only got the one left. I don't want him to be sacrificed at the hands of this woman who's killed my first two boys. But she is in this family. She knows the promise. She knows what's coming. She's going, I have not given any children. What if it's supposed to come through me? I have no children. I have no husband. And my father-in-law straight up lied to me. So was Tamar perfect? No. Desperate people make desperate decisions, though. And I think that's where she found herself. I don't think that this had anything to do with lust. I don't think it had anything to do with just being a deviant. I think she knew and understood the promise and was desperate to make sure she was not out of line. So she took off her clothes of mourning, she veiled herself, and she went and stood on the street corner waiting for her father-in-law. Father-in-law comes by, thinks that looks pretty good, has no idea who it is because she's veiled, offers a certain price, 
The price that he offered was a goat. Remember the goat? The goat came back. That was the price, a goat. Now, he didn't have a goat with him. So he said, he left with her. Um, oftentimes, people during this time especially, they would carry with them something that, that was like an insignia of their family, like a crest or um, sometimes it was just like a letter of, of like the Hebrew alphabet or something like that. It was worn as a ring or it was worn on a chain around the neck sometimes. That was what he left with her. That, a bracelet, and what was the other thing that she had? Oh, yeah, and, and, his, and his robe. So he left those with her. I'm going to send the goat, and when the goat arrives, then you give me this stuff back. So when he left, she left with his things. He sent one of his people with the goat Go find the harlot, give her the goat, get my things. They go with the goat, she's not there. They come back and they go, hey, she's not there. We don't know where she is. He goes, well, I guess that's that. We'll move on with our lives. Three months later, his people come to him and go, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, she's pregnant. And he goes, bring her to me so we can burn her. So here's the thing, though. He was ready to burn her for what she had done. He was there. Like this level of his hypocrisy that, that is here on, on the surface here with Judah. Let's bring her in and burn her, even though he was there three months ago. We'll sweep that under the rug. No big deal. So when she shows up, what does she bring? She brings the tunic, she brings the bracelet, and she brings the crest, the, the piece of jewelry. And he freaks out. Now, when she gives birth, she has twins. And as she's getting ready to give birth, one of them reaches a hand out and they tie a crimson band around it. And then the hand comes back in and then the other kid comes out first. They flag the first one and like, this is going to be the firstborn. What's significant about the firstborn? Well, that's what we've been studying over the last few weeks. That's where the, that's where the blessing goes. That's where the birthright is. That's, everything in the house goes to that one, right? Well, so they, they put the, the crimson band around that one, and then the other one flips and comes out first. So the one that came out first, ultimately, uh, 
Perez. Now, look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. You've seen this before, but you may not have seen it through this lens. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez. Tamar is the great, 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 however many greats, grandmother of Jesus. We know, if you spent time in church, you know things about people like Rahab. Remember Rahab? Rahab was, was the harlot, direct lineage of Jesus. You remember who Solomon's mother was? Solomon's King, King David's son, remember that? Remember who his mother was? Bathsheba. The woman that was bathing on top of her house in the middle of the day. Just further evidence, at no point in time was God ever interested in whether or not how good we are would determine how good he is. At no point has it ever been about how good we are or how good we can be. We can look at the surface of what Tamar did and go, gross, this is your father-in-law. She was desperate because she knew the promise and she knew she had no children. Jesus ends up being a direct line to her. And it does, like, it carries out. You can go, this, this stuff is actually pretty easy to find. If you're familiar with the Google machine, like, you can get on there and find all kinds of stuff. But the genealogy stuff is fascinating. And how many times have we spent time, like, reading Scripture, and you get to a genealogy place, and you be like, um, I'm just going to kind of flip over here to a part that's much more interesting than people's names of which I can't pronounce, right? But this really, really bizarre chapter that seems to be kind of stuck in the middle of the story of Joseph, it has this beautiful picture of this woman who understood the promise and wanted to be the person that God had promised. Like, if, if you're going to do this thing, I want you to do it through me. I just, 
I just want to be obedient. I just want to be where you want me to be. I understand if I'm where you want me to be, you'll do everything else. And he does it in and through broken people time after time after time after time. He continues to do it in and through broken people today. And like we draw these lines of distinction and how, how bad the things are that we've done in our lives. My guess is nobody within the reach of the sound of my voice right now has done what Tamar did. Or did what King David did. Or did some of the things that we've seen any of these other people, Abraham, Moses, Moses killed a man with his bare hands. And time after time after time, God does, he accomplishes the things that he intends to do and he uses broken, banged up people all the time. And he says things like, my grace is sufficient for you because in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. That's the gospel. That separate from that power, we're ultimately completely hopeless. But because he looked down and sent his son to pay the price, to take care of the, there was a penalty, the, the fallenness, the, all of this junk, all, everything that we've read about tonight and that we've talked about, there is a penalty for all of that stuff. It doesn't, it's, you can't just pretend like it didn't happen. There's a penalty for all of it. That is what got nailed to the cross. The penalty was taken care of. And it frees us up to be able to fall deeply in love with him through his word, to be able to live free because he's taking care of the penalty, but to put yourself in direct service to him because of the things that he's already done for you. This is not weighty. This is not heavy. It's not hard to do the things that he said that he wants you to do. Let me take that back. It is hard. That's hard. It's not complicated, though. It's it's like this. Parenting is hard. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. We're in the middle of it. Some of you have survived it already. Like, 
we can all, if, if you have kids, you can say, yes, agreed. 100% parenting's the hardest thing you ever have to do. Parenting's hard, but it's not complicated. It's not complicated. Love, consistency, self-sacrifice, like those are three things that could absolutely shape your children forever. Not complicated. Hard, yes. Very hard. Very, very hard. But not complicated. That's, that's the way I feel about this. Is it hard to sacrifice, to die to yourself every single day? To take up that cross, to bear that every day? Is that hard? Yes, it's hard. Because listen, we love ourselves and we love this world too much. So yes, it's hard. It's not complicated though. It's not, he didn't make it complicated because Jesus took care of the penalty for the things that we screw up, right? So the, the part that would get complicated is trying to meet this standard to the letter of the law. That would be well, that's impossible. So to, so to take care of that by going, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send my son. He'll be the perfect sacrifice. He'll lay down his life and he will cover the sins of humanity. I'm just asking you to respond and trust me. To stop trusting in the things that you feel like you can manipulate and trust me. That's what Joseph did. That's why Joseph was elevated to the position he was in. He trusted God. He's a man of faith. Walking out this life is hard. It's not complicated, though. Like, fall, fall deeply in love with the Word of God. Start there. See if that doesn't completely revolutionize your life. Love people more than you love yourself. See if that doesn't turn your world upside down. It's, it's not complicated, but it will be really, really hard. We're going to need his help.